We should play Penny Dreadful. It's like pauper on crack. So, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I like the idea of Penny Dreadful. But I think, and I don't know this for sure, but I think that because the rules are that you can only play cards that cost less than 0.02 ticks on MTG Online, mm-hmm. um, if the if you're playing a card, the legality of cards is very fluid in that format. Oh, yeah, I guess because would, yeah, yeah, yeah. Card prices can change, and especially when they're that cheap. If a card goes up by just a tiny bit, all of a sudden it's not legal anymore, yeah. and it's kind of in this weird. It's that it's actually weirdly sense. self-regulating because if Penny Dreadful was really popular, then the best cards would ban themselves <laughs> all the funny, time. Actually. Um, it's and like an yeah, impossible it's, format. It's, it's, yeah, it, it seems like it's probably a lot of effort to maintain the penny dreadful a deck list, like to, yeah. to yeah to maintain a deck list. Uh, but if it was super popular, yeah, it would be in this weird place where if a card becomes popular enough, it just bans itself, which mm. is really quite odd, quite funny. You'd have to take like three decks to each FNM <laughs> but, and check where, which one was legal. Because mm-hmm. it could, like, in the drive over to FNM, your deck could ban itself. <laughs> yeah. What if it happens, like, mid-tournament, imagine, like, there's <laughs> there's three matches and you've just won your second match. It's like, nope, sorry, your deck's banned now. Yeah. You've won, you've put, you've won too you've many matches You've put together this, like, this, this fresh brew and you've played day one and then by day two, it's banned itself because people have seen it and bought it. <laughs> Do you know what would be the pro strategy is if you if you know you're coming up against someone and they have like a card in their deck or like the key card, you should just bulk buy it and then the demand for it will go up. <laughs> and just <laughs> the demand for it goes up and then it gets banned. <laughs> I built this deck. Oh, the uh, the Grixis control matchup's really weak, so I I I bulk bought all of the Grixis control cards, <laughs> and uh, and that's that yeah. problem solved. There you go. <laughs> that's the me- that's the real Penny Dreadful meta game. It's oh, funny. <clears throat> um, I'm gonna I'm gonna check what the Penny Dreadful meta game looks like because I'm curious yeah, let's, now. Let's have a look. Yeah. So I'm looking on an MTG Goldfish, which is um, pretty bad to be honest. I've I've learned recently that it's actually quite bad for meta game analysis. <laughs> It, it it's it's not great and the, the site is pretty weird it's it's just the one that i've always used and i'm kind of yeah, used it's to the it anyone that um, it's easier to read so Ooh, okay the penny dreadful metagame consists of azorius affinity um mm-hmm. azorius blink uh grixis spell slinger uh Wait, yokel I'm... helps i don't know what yokel helps is hold on i'm confused by this wait so this this blink deck list is very expensive. What the hell? Yeah, it's one hundred and thirty-seven dollars. What? Wait, uh, what is Penny Dreadful? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm Penny so Dreadful. Uh, I think for a card to be legal in Penny Dreadful, it has to cost. Oh, is it less than? So yeah, because I thought it was. Isn't it less than two ticks in uh, in MTG Online? See, that's ridiculous. Because yeah, because I'm looking at it now. You can buy the deck list for one hundred and thirty-one dollars. Or two ticks. I don't. I'm so That's confused how this works. What the hell? Oh, oh uh, any card that is zero point zero two ticks. What That's that? the threshold. What, what? Okay. Hmm. So ticks are the currency of MTG Online. So is it just mainly um, played on MTG Online then? I guess. Um. So. Yes. Yeah. I. I, I think so. I don't, I don't think it's very popular paper format, um, probably because of how fluid it is. Yeah. But looking at these top meta decks, m- most of them aren't legal anymore. Well, because all of they these definitely... are over a hundred dollars. Yes, but there are some paper. there are some weird discrepancies with cards that are like very weirdly priced, but in paper versus MTGO. Right. Um. Like, there are some cards that are really cheap on MTG Online and really expensive in paper and vice versa. I'm not really sure what the reason for that is. But yeah, these decks are like $150 each, but two ticks. And I'm two ticks, I think, is uh, is very cheap. 
That's so um, crazy how that works. Because, yeah, like, this deck just has Teferi Mage of Zalfair in it, which is the 5-mana 3-4 creature Teferi, which, gives, which has the Teferi 3 ability where you can only cast spells at sorcery speed. And uh, yeah, and it gives all your things flash. Yeah, I, I really, I don't know I don't why <laughs> this is, but um, so MTG Online's ticks, uh, ticks is is kind of slang for tickets. Uh, they're event tickets. You use them to enter events on MTG Online, mm-hmm. um, and it's always been set uh, and is consistent to a dollar. One ticks is equal to one dollar. So this Penny Dreadful um, Tempered Steel deck, which I'm looking at here, is $165 to build in paper, but $1.94 <laughs> on MTG Online. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I think like it's a, really good. A fun play with um, power kind of thing. Yes, but it does go the other way sometimes as well. Um, mm. And sometimes there are cards that are cheaper on paper and really expensive on MTG Online. And it's fairly likely, I think, that the top of the Penny Dreadful metagame consists of those cards that are, for some reason or another, really cheap on MTG Online, but perhaps expensive on paper because of their power. Mm. Mm. Because the two things that a card needs to be to be at the top of the Penny Dreadful metagame is powerful and incredibly cheap on MTGO. So, <laughs> I'm looking at I one think of you're the... more likely to... Sorry, Josh, carry on. No, you carry on. I was just saying, I was looking at one of the meta deck lists, and it's right at the bottom of the page, and it's 0.1% of the meta. It's called Battle of Wits, and it's a 265-card deck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So Battle of Wits is a card that I think makes it so that if you have more than 200 cards in your deck list, you win the game. Oh, I see. (laughs) Um, So Battle of Wits decks, uh, yeah, revolve around around this combo. (laughs) <laughs> um yeah let me find battle of wits real quick yeah so it costs yeah. five mana it's a three blue blue and then it's enchantment at the beginning of your upkeep if you have 200 more cards in your library uh, you win right yeah. so it's <laughs> just like it's just like oh my god there's 79 lands there's 101 creatures what the hell <laughs> <laughs> stupid i love how many um one-offs there are in this list mm-hmm. like there's a one-off rocks war monk um and you might think oh a one-off does it have like some really particular <laughs> use um well i'll read the card out it's a green a white and a blue for a three four creature with the ability lifelink <laughs> <laughs> and that's it it's like, a one of three, four lifelink, three mana, three, four lifelink in the deck, which is like, why is that? In, why is that in there? Who designed this? I mean, I love it. It's a rhino monk. It can be your pauper commander, mm. your bant pauper commander. It's probably like the only bant creature that's a pauper commander. <laughs> PDH. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Enough of Penny Dreadful. That was, that was an interesting uh delve into that world <laughs> oh probably was that a reference is delve good and penny dreadful oh my god maybe god you're such a magic well, delve is actually quite a it's very powerful delve is op um, yeah yeah delve is really op <sighs> there's a deck that revolves around endbringer the eldrazi like these are not cheap cards <laughs> what the hell <laughs> I guess Enbring is not that pricey, but yeah, these are not these are not cheap cards, no, uh, but they are on MTGO. So I think what I'm taking from this is that I should play more MTGO. Mm. Yeah, these are... but it just looks. If so you go, yeah, if you can get past the way that it looks, mm-hmm. which I don't know if I can, then I would yeah. I would definitely play it. But yeah, that's the good thing about Arena. What can I say? I'm a filthy zoomer. Hmm. I have wanted to play MTGO recently because. I realise how much I actually really enjoy Affinity. Um, yeah. Affinity is really fun to play, and the modern Affinity list looks really fun because it's just the one in the arena, but better, obviously. And obviously, Pauper Affinity is really good. Although I think that that has been nerfed a little bit, but yeah, the modern Affinity list looks so much fun. It's the one that it's the one that runs like Sojourner's Companion and stuff like that. Um, 
Pulper Affinity did, of course, get the Sojourner's Companion bad. Yes. Um, but it did get a really good card in um, Crimson Vow. Is that Blood Fountain? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Blood Fountain is a one mana artifact that makes a blood artifact when it comes in. So mm-hmm. it's one mana Creative. for two artifacts, mm. yeah. which is just really good for Affinity. Yeah, I've actually been thinking about trying to because obviously the the blue white affinity list i run on arena at the moment uh, in historic uh, i'm sure people will be aware of that list it's quite popular now um it's the one that aaron gertler came up with well not came i don't know if he came up with but he kind of pioneered it um he definitely took it thing. from unplayable which it was when he i, I remember because i follow his twitter mm-hmm. uh, i remember him tweeting about it quite a few weeks ago and talking about this list mm-hmm. and he was like eh, it's pretty unplayable and then a little while later he was like it feels like a real deck now mm-hmm. and then eventually yeah this is a real deck um yeah and so he definitely like uh uh experimented with the list to get it to where it is and that's the thing like i've been thinking or not even thinking but i've been wondering if there's a way to incorporate black into the deck there's the only things you really get out of black or adding black to the deck is you don't get any really artifact synergies except for blood fountain obviously and maybe you could i don't know if there's a way to make like a blood tokens deck itself like run a couple of those vampires or or even if you just run like prime like prime removal spells uh things like doom blade and and infernal grasp etc um i don't know I, i don't know what it else it kind of adds it probably isn't ideal to play three color in affinity just because you want a lot of double blue um, but maybe you could run blue black, but then you're giving up things like Esper Sentinel and Ingenious uh, Smith, which are really good cards. So I yeah. don't know. It's uh, it's it's tough. It's tough to 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 figure out. I'm sure there'll be a, a, a blue black list and a blue white list emerging soon. But yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, speaking of blood tokens, mm-hmm. when we first saw them, um, we thought they were pretty bad. Because they're not a source of uh, card advantage. You discard a card and you draw a card. So mm-hmm. for those that don't know, Blood Token is uh, it's a it's an artifact token that has the ability uh, pay one mana, sacrifice this artifact, uh, discard a card and draw a card. Mm. Um, and we didn't think they were great, but they are like the uh, they're one of the biggest themes in the Crimson Vow set. Now that we've we're a bit further into Crimson Vow. Have your guys' thoughts on blood tokens changed at all? Um, and if not, can we just revisit? What do, you, what do you think of blood tokens? Do you think they're good? Do you think it's a good mechanic? Do you think it's underpowered? What do you think? Um, I, well, Sarah, what were your initial thoughts of blood tokens? Because I don't yeah. actually remember what I thought. I can't remember if I thought they were good or bad. Well, I think... I feel like I thought they were good i can't remember what i thought to be honest either but like yeah d- discard a one well, i don't know actually and i, I have don't I... recently because i've been playing a lot of limited um and i've been doing really bloody well as well i've been, I've been i remember the, the last episode that i spoke i recorded or we recorded that i was in um i was talking about how much i how much i got annoyed at limit my limited pool and stuff like that because i played sealed um since playing drafts after that episode i've been going ham i can't lie <laughs> i've been on a very steady chain of earning gems and and i've almost like got 80 percent of the set complete already it's crazy wow. yeah um i've been I've okay just... okay but you, you you can flex later um <laughs> i want to know what you Wait, think I just, about blood tokens. i just need to ask <laughs> if bloody good was intentional I didn't even think, I didn't even realise I said that, so no. <laughs> um, but having played a lot of Limited, uh, I do think Blood Tokens are very, very good in Limited. I don't know about Standard. I've not actually been playing a lot of Standard, but Blood Tokens are quite you know, powerful in Limited. It's very good advantage, I think, because in especially in Limited and Draft, you do have a lot of bad cards in your hand a lot of the time. Um, mm-hmm. So with blood tokens, filtering those out like for specific games is is very nice. Um, a lot of your cards, not not your cards aren't necessarily bad, but most of them are situational, um, mm. or generally speaking, or you you'll have more situational cards than you would in a standard deck. Like in a standard deck, you want every card to be playable at all times, um, but obviously you can't really do that in limited unless you're really lucky. 
that's what I think makes blood tokens really powerful in limited. Uh, it's 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 a very nice uh, advantage in a way, and that's quite important, yes. I think. So you are spot on with that assessment. I think um, Crimson Vow's uh, limited format is very bomb heavy, mm-hmm. and uh, something I read somewhere this week uh, was that. I think that we were all seeing blood tokens as fairly weak because they immediately followed clue tokens in Midnight Hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And clues are two mana draw card, which is, you know, it's card advantage. Everybody loves drawing cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think clues are probably stronger. Yeah. But um, somebody reframed it for me uh, this week. Um, it was on a podcast I was listening to, it was uh, Lords of Limited. And what the guys said was that making a blood token is like giving every card in your deck, including your basic lands, um, cycling one, mm, yeah. yeah, which is actually really good. That is pretty OP. Um, yeah, like t- for for a resource that you create most of the time for free off of mm-hmm. you know the playing like a vampire or effects, something. Yeah. Yeah, out of a secondary effect. And then this this gives every card in your deck cycling one, um, especially in a bomb-heavy format. A bomb-heavy mm-hmm. format meaning that um, in this particular draft format, how good your deck is depends pretty heavily on which broken, busted card you draw mm-hmm. and, yeah. and are able to play. Um, some formats don't... like In, a, in, in some draft formats... Uh, it doesn't matter if you have the most powerful cards in the set because the uncommons and commons can kind of answer them or are powerful enough and, and the deck is kind of less less peaks and troughs and it, the, the power level is flatter. But uh, in Crimson Vow, it's a, it's a bomb-heavy format. There's a lot of uh, rares that can just win games by themselves. Yeah. So being able to give all of your cards cycling one lets you dig through to those bombs. And yeah, this is exactly what people have been saying online uh that blood is actually really powerful and limited and even in other formats like standard and commander if you reframe it that way if you think of it as a secondary effect that just incidentally gives all of your cards cycling one that's actually really good Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and if you lean into like sort of black black is sort of the most notable color for blood tokens i think if you lean into that archetype you can either go black white or black red or black blue. I think all of those are really powerful. Um, black white is less so because that's more of like life gain strategy, which I don't think is that good mm-hmm. in the set. But black red and black blue are definitely two of my favorite to draft so far from what I've what I've drafted so far. Um, and yeah, you do just get really powerful card selection, um, and just you, you're just happy if you get black pretty much. And uh, yeah, you're right as well. Like it is quite a bomb heavy format, which not a, people aren't a fan of too much because it can be kind of what's the best way to put it, it can be kind of like skillless we'll say um you know it's, it's quite easy to slam down a I've, I've had the privilege of playing with the um the six mana six six demon which is insane it's so it's the six mana six six flying demon and when so it comes to the battlefield and then on your end step you have to sacrifice a non-demon creature you're forced to and you create a copy of the demon um, so it does something as soon as it comes down, unless they have instant speed removal, um, which creates a copy of itself. And then obviously those copies multiply because you then have to sacrifice two creatures on your next one and then your four creatures on your next one. And you basically just turn all of your creatures on board into six, six flyers. Um, it completely takes over the game and it's completely busted. Uh, if you do have the privilege of drafting that or picking that first, it's worth like wheeling into or splashing, even though it's got double black cost, it's a hundred percent worth splashing. Um, yeah completely busted card um yeah 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 there's quite a lot of strong uh, heavy bombs in this this format and uh that's kind of the strategy with limited i think or for this this limited I've, set n- i've not really been playing limited in yeah. this set i'm still yeah i'm still working on um uh mono blue oh, tempo standard deck, yeah standard yeah uh and i i do think it's it's still good uh it it does however have one very very glaring weakness which is um the mono blue tempo deck has absolutely no answer to hullbreaker horror 
Ah, yeah. Um, like we had, I, 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 we have counter spells for epiphanies, um, and with wash away uh, at our disposal, we can answer the galvanic iteration uh, epiphany combo a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's you know it's it, there's a lot of bounce spells which are good against aggro. There's a bunch of counter spells which are good against control. Like it's a good deck. It's an off meta, but feels like a strong lean fast deck mm. uh but it has absolutely no answer to hellbreaker horror mm, hellbreaker yeah. horror can't be countered and the best that i can do then is bounce it back to hand but it's a flash creature that can't be mm. countered and yeah. if i bounce it back to hand it's just coming back um and it's so it's so rough it's uh like i, ju- I just can't answer that card yeah i'm trying to think what the I don't know. I can't think of any cards that would be good against that. If there was something like Aethergust yeah. for blue cards, which there should have been, to be honest. But yeah, Aethergust for blue cards. Yeah, Aethergust <laughs> is the two mana instant that it costs one and a blue, uh, and you choose target red or green permanent or spell, um, and you that you the opponent either puts that card on the top or bottom of their library. So it's a really good tempo play. Because um, you you slam that you can you can choose uncount things that have can't be countered on it because as a spell uh, you're not countering the spell you're choosing to put it on top of their library or to the bottom mm. of their library. Um, mm-hmm. It was a really really powerful card. People is it was annoyingly powerful because people would start main decking the card even though it only hits red and green cards just because it was that good. Um, yeah, so something like that for blue would be nice, I guess. Yeah, um, I think that the answer is one that's just rotated out, actually, and that's uh, Mystic Subjewel, mm-hmm. um, which is, I think, still played in Historic as a sideboard card. Well, remind me what uh, that does. But it's, so it's one and a blue for an enchantment aura. It has flash and enchant creature, um. and it has enchanted creature gets minus two, minus O, oh, and loses all abilities. Oh, yeah, that card sees play. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, but even then... They have still got a six seven or something, yeah. right? Uh, I think it's seven, or six eight, or six. whatever it is. Um, yeah, and that's still eight. pretty beefy, but at least it's just a six seven. It loses all abilities. Mm. Um, the closest we have is uh, Ray of Frost in Standard, which takes the abilities away from red creatures. Um, mm. So yeah, hopefully we we we. I don't know, get an answer to that in a future set. But right now, uh, Hullbreaker Horror is the strongest card in standard um Ooh, and okay. the deck that i play has no answer to it Would you, is, are, you, are you definitive on that it's the best card in standard i haven't been playing it much so i don't know mm, okay um <laughs> is it the best card in standard yes i think so i think that yeah. it can win a game by itself and in such a big way like lear could uh, was an excellent control finisher. Mm-hmm. But Hullbreaker Horror, it honestly feels like if you have Hullbreaker Horror and one more spell to back it up, um, or and, and that allows you to get through to untapping with Hullbreaker Horror, it feels like you cannot lose the game. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you lose How do you lose a game once you've untapped with a Hullbreaker Horror? It's true. I mean, I guess you if you just draw lands forever. <laughs> um, but even then, you've got this huge creature on the battlefield. Um, and it's still not easy. Like, against even against something like Mono Green, it still wouldn't be easy for them to remove the, the Hullbreaker Horror. You just need to have one spell in hand, and you can counter anything they do. You can bounce any of their creatures. Uh, it's uh, it, it feels like it's completely unbeatable in standard at the moment. Interesting. <laughs> Unless you just kill it. Um, but that requires it coming out on curve and the opponent not having anything else they can play yeah. to bounce your kill spell back to hand. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, but then you could possibly, if you had enough mana, you could just replay your kill spell. Uh, but yeah, k- killing the Hellbreaker Horror is the, it seems to be the only way to deal with it. And you ju- you have to do it right then and there. Mm. Um, or you have to have enough mana to be able to cast your kill spell like three or four times in a turn, <laughs> yeah. potentially. And if you're an aggro um, deck, yeah. that's not happening because, like, what Mono White will have, Fateful Absence, which is a terrible card anyway. Um, <laughs> Fateful Absence is the two mana instant destroy target creature its controller investigates, which does sound pretty good, but I think it's terrible. 
Like, yeah. you spend two mana to kill one of their cards and then they get to draw another one. I just feel like that's not good a good exchange. <laughs> but, yeah. it way, depends. I, it's, it's Brutal Cathar as well. Yes, which um, is sorcery but... speed, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It, it just gets bounced, and it's tricky because because Hullbreaker Horror is a flash threat. Mm-hmm. It, it has flash. It's probably going to be nighttime the turn after it comes down. Oh, that's true. Um, which means that Brutal Cathar doesn't exile it. Yeah, on entry. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So your opponent will just let it come down, or they wouldn't even bounce it back in hand because then you could replay it and it would exile something. They mm. would just let it come down, and it would be a useless like 4-4 or whatever, sitting on the battlefield. Uh, it may it'd be a chump blocker at best. Mm. Yeah, so I think that... Um, I don't know. I, I, I think best card in standard is very subjective. Yeah. But um, no other... Like, turn two Luminarch Aspirant feels busted. I was going to yes. say, like, what do you think is the best um, deck in standard as opposed to best card? Because I, when I played it for briefly, like a, a week or so ago, it was mono-white quite dominantly. I don't know if that's yeah. changed at all. The stats still say that it is. Okay. Mono-white is the most popular uh, deck in standard by win rate. Yeah. It just has um, so many options. Like, it has a... It, yeah. It, it, it's kind of too powerful because... Well, in my opinion, it's a bit it's a bit ridiculous how powerful it is because yeah, it has a brutal Cathar and Skyclave Apparition. That's like eight eight removal spells on creature mm. bodies, which is crazy. Um, mm-hmm. It has what else does it have? It has things like Raidane or Raidan. I always forget how to pronounce it. <laughs> That's a really nice sideboard card <laughs> for so many matchups. Um, it has God, it it just it has endless options for like so many cards. Um, the uh, as you said, like it does struggle. I, I would imagine it does struggle with Hull Break Breach of Horror or Hull Breaker Horror. But it's a mono white deck. It's gonna go fast and possibly before yeah. they get to turn seven. And if like it's it's generally not trying to be at turn seven anyway. Um, at that point, the game is most likely lost anyway. So yeah, like it's it's really interesting. Um, yeah, I think it's quite funny. Like if you if you were to say to someone like two years ago. Mono white is the best deck in standard. Mono white weenies and mono white creatures. Hmm. They just be like, "What the hell did they print?" <laughs> what <laughs> you, just, you say that? But two years ago, um, was Ixalan standard, right? Yeah, like, and mono was white legal. was popular, and that was a good mono white. Deck it was there. good, but it was definitely weak. I would say, like, there's a lot to like. It, I don't know. It, it just didn't have as good a survivability as the new mono white deck does and it it wasn't as strong as mono red back then no yeah like mono red was, a, it was a hard matchup even control yeah. decks back then were just completely stomp mono white as well or, or mono, mono yeah. aggro decks because it the back then the x-land meta was like control deck versus mono red and see who would be if mono red was fast enough um mono white wasn't able to do much because it didn't have any kind of burn spells or anything like that mm-hmm. it didn't have that kind of long, yeah. longevity um but yeah like it, it's crazy to think that mono white is now up there and it's kind of cool I, yeah. I, I, as, a, as a mono white fan it's, it's nice to see that um but yeah i've just not been interested in playing standard much i think just because as, as much of a fan i am of oh, what am i trying to say as much as i am a fan of mono white i really really dislike mirror matches and and also playing other aggro decks it's a bit of a it's a like mono you're white just versus trying to mono be the green. only person playing mono white exactly yeah. i want to be the only one you're just fun. you're like you're like planes turn to luminarch aspirant and then they and do the, the same thing goes planes turn to luminarch aspirant <laughs> and you're like oh what a what a fucking what a yeah what a, what a lame <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so play real magic yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like, you know, it's not fun when you play a bunch of mirrors and it's, uh, my, my philosophy on mirrors or mirror matches is that it's basically a coin toss. Like you both have the same cards. One of you is going to go first and one of you is going to win. That's pretty much how it works. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's my salty rant over, I guess. (laughs) Your selfish approach to mono white. Yeah. It's my selfish approach to magic in general. I'm not going to lie. Like, yeah, you I just want to be I, the only person. I stopped playing the You Want Blue White Affinity list as well because everyone plays that. 
don't like I mean, it. I'd got be happy popular. if you were the only person playing mono white because I hate mono white. Yeah, it's pretty pretty powerful. It like... is really strong. I do think it's a good thing though because white has such a bad rep or has had developed a bad reputation for being just unplayable. Exactly. Yeah. Um, That's why it's nice to see. And yeah. yeah, it is like this is this is wizards uh working on that and you know now white is a bit too strong, strong. <laughs> um yeah it is strong but one of the um reasons that people felt that white was just garbage is that white card advantage is so poor mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um well the mono white deck that exists now still has yeah. terrible card advantage it even has negative card advantage because its best removal spells in fateful absence <laughs> give your opponent card yeah. advantage um, and so it's um, like it, it's it still is really bad for card advantage, but they found other ways to make it powerful, which is what wizards have always said. They've always said card advantage, you know, it's it's just not in white slice of the color pie, and people have continued saying well then what is because it's <laughs> such a bad color but now we see yeah now we see that what is in white's color pie is be super aggressive make everything really expensive and gain a bunch of life yeah and, just, <laughs> and it's yeah. and it's good it works well, it's not necessarily gain a bunch of life i think that the the power no, in mono that. white decks at the moment is they're able to cleave through control decks by playing a really aggressive curve and they're also able to really powerfully deal with other aggro decks because of things like brutal cathar and skyclave apparition like mm. being able to you know if you imagine the the idea that you're slamming creatures down per turn you're paying one mana slam a creature your opponent is also playing an aggro deck they slam a creature you're then slamming your three drop creature to remove one of theirs it's just a huge advantage on the board it goes from like three creatures to three but then it goes from like four creatures to two and five creatures to one like it's just so good um yeah so that's where like the real power is and uh, the, yeah, it's just the flexibility of that deck. Like you can take out all of your creature removal, like Bridge Cathar and Skyclave Apparition and put in cards that make you go faster and stuff like that. And it's just very good. It's very, very good. So I want to loop back to Mystic Subdual, mm -hmm. which we mentioned earlier, because the original printing of the card um, has some rules text written on it, which I think is quite interesting. Okay. Um, so the enchanted creature loses all abilities and then the rules text reads on the card uh, mutating onto the creature won't give it new abilities Ooh. it mm. can gain abilities in other ways um and i just i think this encapsulates a point that i wanted to talk to you guys about which is how badly designed mutate was <laughs> and how confusing mutate is yeah. when it comes to I, like I, interacting i understand that though i, I understand that ruling because it's like yeah i understand what this does but why because why it's... doesn't mutating give it new abilities but say playing a spell that gives it flying would would give it a new ability? because think of it like this right because you mutate say... onto the creature and yeah. that creature has no abilities, but if you put like an enchantment on it, then the enchantment and creature are separate. That's, that's what that's, that's what it that's is. What, yeah, yeah, that's what I would. But isn't doesn't the ruling of mutate say that the creature on top gains all the abilities of the creature on the bottom? Yeah, yeah. So uh, it would also gain the fact that it can't have any abilities. But, but think of it. Think of it flavorfully, Josh. If you're if you're mutating that creature onto one that's got the ability of having no abilities yeah right it's you're not adding anything to that creature because you're you're merging the creatures together they share their abilities yeah they keep they but, keep everything can you just pick which one you like with the higher but then power yeah. right you're right yeah but then you then you give it a pair of boots that makes it fly that's not going to be affected by the mystics of jewel the mystics of jewel affects the creature entirely but not anything attached to it or equipped to it or enchanted by it hmm prior or, or after mystic subdual has been played that's kind of how i think of it flavorfully like you, you imagine like you got like the x-men right <laughs> and <laughs> you, you merge them together but their their powers have been nullified they can still do stuff if they get given a gun <laughs> yeah yeah so, yeah they don't pick up the gun and the gun yeah. doesn't work yeah 
Yeah. It's a separate kind of entity, whereas mutating onto a creature merges the two entities together, meaning they share the, uh, the, they the share, downside. They share the ability of, of no abilities. Of no abilities, okay. yeah. Okay, so the two, creature, the two creatures become one creature, yeah. and that one creature is enchanted to lose all of its abilities. So, then, hypothetical scenario, mm-hmm. just a little quiz for you. Okay. okay. Let's say you have, on the battlefield, one mutated creature, which is... Uh, which is four merged creatures. Four creatures mutated on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's one big mutant. You also have a Luminous Broodmoth on the battlefield. Okay. Yeah. Um, luminous Broodmoth has the ability that when a creature that you control without flying dies, return it to the battlefield with a flying counter on it. Mm-hmm. So your mutated creature, which is a stack of four creatures in a trench coat, and doesn't have flying, mm-hmm. yeah. is killed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What happens? Um, they... What comes back to the battlefield? Ooh. The mutated creature? The top creature? Maybe. Or all of the it's creatures? Definitely not the... all of the creatures. I would um, say the top creature. I think it's the top creature is the answer, yeah, because it's definitely not the mutated creature, because when the creature dies, they all separate. You, know, you can't have a mutated creature in the graveyard, so they'll all be yeah. separated, and there's nothing that keeps track of them being mutated together in the graveyard. But then, so when they come back, I would say it's the top creature. Because the whatever, top is the... Whatever's the... Yeah, that's the, the one face you pick. of the card. Yeah, that's yeah. That the only one you pick is whichever one you want to put on top. So I guess it would be that one, but I don't yeah. actually know. Okay. And what about you at home? Lock in your answer, mm-hmm. and <laughs> I am going to reveal in three seconds. Oh, oh, okay. One, two, three. Oh, the answer cool. is all creatures in the stack come back with a flying counter. Wow, on them. really? As separate creatures, independently. That's so creatures. good. That's really interesting. Yeah. So what? So it's so confusing. It's so confusing. So if you like flicker a mutated creature, do they all come back separately? God, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I wasn't confused by mutate, but now I am. Mutate is so confusing. Like the way it interacts with other rules in Magic, it it just, I, I, it's just. So I think wizards have actually said at some point or another that it was kind of a mistake <laughs> and that whole set was a bit of a mistake like companion was a mistake yeah, yeah. they really fucked um, up like Korea. yeah mutate was it was a cool mechanic but it's just like nobody knows how it works that's quite funny it's quite funny that the yeah. two flagship mechanics of Ikoria, one was incredibly broken that they literally had to nerf it like they've never done that kind of thing before where they've nerfed mm-hmm. a, a, a mechanic i don't think yeah, uh, and then the other one was just so bad. <laughs> there was no in between there, was there? Yeah, yeah. We would understand the rules of mutate if it was worth understanding. You know, if it was like actually competitively viable, yeah. then people would have gotten familiar with it. But it wasn't. That's quite funny. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's just fun to look back on how much of a hot mess 2020 was for, for magic it design. Was, it was chaotically fun though. Like yeah. playing with the Theros gods and stuff and, and oh, it, it, was, it was good times. It was good times. It, it was good times. It, yeah. I was, it was actually the year of magic where I was most into stuff. Yeah. So was I. Um, yeah. That was the year I made uh, into yeah, mythic was, was... and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Um. So we've talked a little bit with, you know, um, white's color identity um, about uh, and actually 2020 in magic design in general mm-hmm. about how um, I think what we touched on is how wizards does sometimes listen and respond um, <laughs> to the feedback from the community mm. and I wanted to highlight some good wizards news yeah some some wholesome wizards news and we're going to be positive about this. I'm going to say this, and I'm sure there are some people who are going to think, but isn't that just like the bare minimum expectation? It is. But no, we're, <laughs> we're taking yes, a positive Yes, spin. it is. But we're going to, yeah, this is happy news. Um, remember when first Secret Lairs first sort of hit the scene? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, maybe the one in particular that stands out to me is the, um, the Fetchland Secret Lair. Mm-hmm where there were 10 cards delivered in this huge box yeah. <laughs> uh, with like an obscene amount, like a seriously obscene amount of packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, of course, we've had conversations 
in the past about the kind of horrific amount of packaging generated by Magic the Gathering. Yeah. Um, well, one of the reasons that Wizards have said in the past that um, normal Magic boxes need to have a lot of packaging is that in game stores, um, if you make the packaging too streamlined and too small, it makes the product very stealable. Okay. Which is why things like commander decks um, are bigger and bulkier. It, apparently, it's it's kind of it's it's a sort anti of anti-theft measure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, however, um, wizards. Uh, at first, I thought eh, I don't know. That kind of seems like a shitty excuse to me. Mm. Um, like I, I get the reason, but like, I, I don't know. That that seems pretty weak. Mm. Um, however, if you buy Magic the Gathering products now, um, or not 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 all products, specifically Commander Precons, as one example, mm -hmm. um, through e-commerce websites like Amazon, um, you have the option to go for a very low packaging option, which is literally just like a white cardboard box with your cards in. Okay. Um, and it's super streamlined. None of the bullshit packaging plastic free um i think or maybe there's a little plastic but uh this is this is just a, a really good option yeah. and uh there's a so gavin verhe um one of the lead uh uh designers over at magic has a youtube channel called good morning magic it might be a podcast as well actually sounds like a podcast um, yeah and recently he had uh, Ronnie Ruggenberg on, I think is her name, uh, who is one of the uh, packaging team, like one of the leaders of the of packaging design over at Wizards of the Coast. And she talked about her work over the last few years in trying to make Magic's uh, packaging more sustainable. Mm. Um, so, you know, uh, using more and more recyclable materials, finding ways to use less and less plastic, offering um less obscene packaging uh through e-commerce they still can't do that with um online games uh, sorry with with uh local game stores because of the theft issue um but they are doing something and, and even new secret layers uh no longer come with the ridiculous amount of packaging that the old ones did because they heard the the discontent around the amount of packaging and, and they're actually doing something about it and I think this is really good. I think it's really good to see Wizards tackling what I think is one of the biggest issues uh, of Magic, mm. which is just the ridiculous amount of packaging. Mm. Um, I think that packs are still, you know, they're, they're still in the crinkly yeah. plastic. Yeah. Uh, and there's nothing's been done about that yet. But yeah, Commander Precons, if you buy them online, you can buy them in a, in a little white cardboard box. My recommendation to local game stores would be, you know, if somebody brings a Commander Precon to the till, uh, say to them, yeah, look, you can have that box with all the packaging, or back here behind the counter, I have literally a white cardboard box with the cards in. Um, yeah, maybe they just have like a couple know, on display, uh, but then actually yeah, you buy the low thing. packaging option. Yeah, because I think the ultimate idea is that the uh, the packaging is eye-catching and makes you want to buy it in yeah. real life. But on e-commerce websites, packaging doesn't have the same effect because it's a tiny little thumbnail. Yeah, if a local game um, store was just full of white packaging, I think that would impact mm. their sales. But you could have literally, it could even just be an empty box, but this is the thing you can buy. But you buy it. Yeah. Like we've, I think, I mean, I don't think anyone buys DVDs anymore, but I think that's what used to happen with the DVDs, right? You take like an empty box mm -hmm. to the till and they'd get the actual one out. Yeah, that's a good idea. Wizards, take note. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I think that uh, it's, it's a good episode to listen to and it kind of shows me that there are some things... Uh, in fact, there are lots of things that Wizards are doing right. Uh, we have seen serious improvements this year to general play design over last year. Since rotation, Standard has gotten more fun with each new set release. Hmm. Um, uh, white is playable. Nobody hmm. nobody hmm. is saying that white isn't playable anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but it hasn't broken the color pie. And yeah. the packaging is getting 
more sustainable. Um, Ronnie, Ro Ronnie Roggenberg and her team are continuing to work on that. And I think that these are, you know, these are all, these are all good things. We, we hate on wizards a lot, but there are definitely uh, a lot of ways that they do listen and that they do take action to improve the game mm. and improve the experience. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to just uh, draw attention to that. Um, and yeah, have a little, well, it feels really gross to me to applaud <laughs> the corporation. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but I will recognize that this is a good thing. Mm -hmm. But still support your local game stores. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, not, and not. Yeah, because I don't, I don't. Yeah, don't I was going to say I don't massively <laughs> like the idea of everyone then just buying off Amazon because then that's just a whole other yeah. host of issues. But mm -hmm. your idea yeah. about the whole getting it, but from behind the till in a local game store, I yeah. think that's will take a while to happen. But I think that would actually be a really good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it. I mean, they'd save space in game stores yeah. as well. They don't really need to have like a few display boxes and then they could keep all their stock like round back or, or something. I don't yeah. know, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, it, but it's good to see it heading in the right direction. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, there's a part of me that says, well, I mean, this is kind of the least you can expect <laughs> or it's a little, you know, too, too little, too late. Magic's been ups generating obscene amounts of packaging for like 25 years. Like, come on this is the, the least we expect but that's just me being uh, grouchy and this yeah. is good to see it heading in the right direction it's good it's good <clears throat> so with that in mind what is next what is the current white is unplayable <laughs> opinion of magic the gathering and how do we see wizards fixing that what's currently the worst thing about magic oh man the worst thing oh. about magic yeah, what's what's bad about it right oh, now? God. What's what's like white was unplayable uh, two years uh, ago. What's the thing now? Well, oh God! Um, can't say that white. Red's we pretty can't bad. Can't say that white's too strong because then that's just unfair. <laughs> yeah. yeah, No, white is too strong. <laughs> nerf it, ban it. <laughs> um, Mon yeah, Mon Monora can be good. I think. I just don't think it's as. Ooh, what about what about Simic being overpowered? Uh, wait, is Simic even powerful anymore? No, not in standard, but in commander. And unfortunately, in, in legacy formats, you, there's not really anything you can do about it. You can't. I was going to. Yeah, what do you do when something is. Obviously, if individual cards get too powerful in commander, they ban them. But I just. I feel like there's so much choice with commander. Does mm -hmm. any one particular, like, set of colors ever dominate? Because you can well, just. There's just so much choice, right? And I this think might commander, just be the yeah. fact that we just play, like, in our little play group and everything but i just yeah, yeah i can't imagine like hearing oh simic is the most powerful colors in commander because you can just make whatever you want yeah i i think it's it's a lot less of a problem in commander just because it's a lot less of a streamlined format and it's a lot a lot more inconsistent that it doesn't really matter if something's that powerful because it's never really going to be oppressive if that makes sense mm. like you're not gonna yeah. play I mean, I mean, you, you could per chance, but but you're not going to play like every week and lose to the same Simic value engine deck just because it's so good. Um, unless, of course, their power level of the deck is way higher than other decks. But assuming the decks are on the similar power level, I, yeah. I, mean, I can't imagine one deck would just be that much better over other. I think, yeah, like there's still yeah, you, that's just a rule zero conversation. Exactly, you can still rule play. Rule zero fixes a lot of the problems with Commander. Yeah. And so you can still play like whatever you want in command. I don't think there's a there's a general issue with power level in commander at all. Um, so yeah, I don't think there's there's much to address there. I guess there's not not really much of an issue, in my opinion. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, like I said, I I just I think there's just too much choice in commander for there to ever be one deck or one mm -hmm. like archetype, like one type that just dominates. Yeah, I think I maybe agree. in CDH, but I don't think that like yes, we CDH replicate like nerds. in standard. The people that play competitive standard that is replicated in. Oh, I guess standard is all competitive, but you know what I mean. Like people copy mm -hmm. the decks that people play at Worlds. If there is CDH tournaments, which I'm sure there is, I feel like people don't. I think you could have one of them, and I don't think everybody would immediately build the decks that were played in there. Or even mm -hmm. if they did, 
not everybody that plays commander is going to, so I don't think it would have as much of an effect. Well, CDH decks probably like four thousand dollars. Also, that <laughs> CDH is for nerds. I mean, magic is for um, nerds. True. Yeah. <laughs> this does uh, lead to another interesting conversation, though, which is, um, so we have frequently called wizards cowards for not reprinting fetchlands in the past mm-hmm. um and then they reprinted fetchlands in modern horizons too yeah. now um wizards have actually expressed why they hesitate to reprint fetchlands um and it's because they think they were a mistake yeah because they are so strong they are they really effectively powerful, allow yeah. you to play a smaller deck and if they were to reprint them regularly then there would just be no reason not to play all of the fetch lands that you could, which is a bad card. It's the yeah. soul ring effect. It, like if everybody should play it, it shouldn't be legal. Yeah, because it, it shouldn't be a card. Fetch lands are obscenely powerful. I agree. Like it's it's the it's the fact that the the best modern horizons. So not modern horizons. Like the best modern mono red burn deck will run the red white fetch lands just to fetch red mounters mm-hmm. from their deck. Just because it thins mm. them out, yeah. it, it makes their draws better, yeah. and it is just like it is just an infinitely good land, and yeah, it's it's rough. Like as nice as they are to play with, they are just so powerful, and I I think it was because we had this conversation as well about Pioneer, didn't we? Because Pioneer would technically it would be technically be legal for fetch lands to be in Pioneer, but before they even made the format, they were like, right, we're banning all the fetch lands, just so you know, they're going yeah. straight yeah. to the ban list, mm-hmm. and the entire community was fine with that. They were genuinely like, yeah, they're really powerful. We 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 don't want to see them, um, hmm. and yeah, like that that's yeah. uh it's an interesting sort of thing, like because my philosophy has always been like, oh, but lands are like the least it's like sort of like a minimal impact like if everyone yeah. gets to play good lands they should but then at the same time they are just busted <laughs> the fetch lands are just so yeah. good um yeah they power up the game they power up your your deck for no cost mm-hmm. and that is just a bad card uh, another card that kind of fits this archetype but that wizards treat very differently is arcane signet mm-hmm. um which is a commander card it's it's an it's a colorless artifact, two mana, and it has the it, it has the ability uh, tap add one mana of any color in your commander's color identity. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is what we would call a fifty percent yield because it costs you two mana and you get one out of it, so you get fifty percent yield on your mana, mm-hmm. and that is good yeah. for a mana rock. Fifty percent is great, um, especially at such a low cost. Um, and it taps for any relevant color that you'll ever play. And so, similar to Soul Ring, it should just go in every commander mm-hmm. deck, mm. which makes it a bad card. And that's why some people will even will have you know uh, Soul Ring and Arcane Signet banned in their playgroups because everybody just has to play them. Yeah. Because um, they're just they're just good. There's literally just it's, uh, uh, only specific decks, very specific decks, will not want to play mm. them. Um, and they're just they're just too good, even though they're, they're not super powerful. Whereas Arcane Signet um, gets printed literally in every single in Commander Precon. And so yeah. does Sol Ring. Yeah. So does Sol Ring. And so does Sol yeah. Ring, yeah. Um, and I, I came across a, a comment on Reddit on this topic, uh, which said something like, the best time to reprint these cards is never. The second best time is always. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that got me thinking, what would I rather see? Um, would I rather see Wizards just print a bunch of these cards, make them really cheap, but then literally everyone has to play them? That's like five or six cards that literally have to get played in every deck because they're just too good. So this is or yeah. never ever see them printed again and just you know accept okay we shouldn't have printed them we're never going to reprint them they're going to go up in price and they're going to be in the most powerful decks yes but since we're never going to reprint them they're not going to be accessible to everybody because we think they were mistakes in the first place I, what approach is better I dislike that the latter I don't like the idea that it's only sort of it's limited access or limited access sorry because it, it the, yes the card is very powerful. But you can, you know, you can rule zero it. You can choose not to play it out of principle. But I, 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 I don't know. Like I, I, the idea that 
powerful cards shouldn't be cheap is a bit of a scam, to be honest. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it, it's rough. It's rough to place, but I, I would. The, the only thing I would imagine is if you're taking out, you know, because because Arcane Signet is say say you want Arcane Signet and Soul Ring, but they're really expensive. You're gonna find replacements for them, right? You're gonna play the crappy like three mana artifacts instead or, or things like that or i don't know um other ways to ramp and i don't know i just don't like that idea that your card could be my like mildly better because arcane signet is sort of mildly better than uh, i don't know talisman the talismans right because they, they they do damage yeah. to you so that's like one life it's same with like the shock glands philosophy like shock glands and original dual lands are separated only by two life and that's what makes them like 500 pounds yeah. different and and that kind of i don't like that a lot i don't, I don't i'm not a fan of that and obviously i know that the price difference isn't just because of that it's because of availability and, and reprinting and things like that but yeah like that's not something i would like to see like i i would like to see the original dual lands like printed well obviously that wouldn't ever happen but the same kind of philosophy that I, I'm I'm much rather that Arcane Signet and Sol Ring were just you know slam included in every deck because otherwise it's just going to be replaced by something that's terrible and and it just it, it it doesn't really impact the deck that much more but it, I don't know like to, I don't know it's really hard to play. <laughs> yeah, you know that's a good point. Both of those cards are ramp artifacts mm-hmm. and they're going to be replaced by worse ramp artifacts. Yeah. Um. And so, you know, if you think of it like that, not as the specific cards, but as, well, I'll just put in two worse ramp artifacts, then the decks aren't really changing and it's not actually really changing anything. Yeah. Um, because, you know, whether you play Soul Ring or a slightly worse artifact, I mean, it doesn't, it makes very little difference. Mm. What about you, Sarah? Well, how- how would you deal with the problem of we've printed this card, we think it was a mistake? But now everybody's going to want it. So do we not print it anymore and make it really expensive? Or do we keep printing it so that everybody can have it? How would you solve that problem? I think it depends on the type of card. Like you guys have said with mana rocks, I I think I understand why Arcane Signet and Sol Ring are better than other mana rocks, but they're not like infinitely better or amazingly better. You're just going to like slow everybody down a little bit. But if there was like... And obviously this is more difficult, but if there was like a creature or something that was colorless and great and just went in every deck, I would find that more boring to play against. Like if someone plays a soul ring, sometimes if they get it down really early, everyone goes, oh, amazing turn one. But that is what it is. You don't really care after that. If there was like a colorless creature that was in every commander deck, I would find that really boring. So then I think I would mm. want to stop printing that so that it was played less and less but i don't really i i I do agree with that reddit comment of like the first time is never the second is always but i feel like the difference that a soul ring and arcane signet makes to a commander deck is not enough to stop printing it and you're just kind of making everybody have more of the same level Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's a it's a tough one to crack, and uh, I'm not sure what the answer is. And you know, you mentioned the original dual lands there, Sam, which of course they won't be reprinted no, because they're on the reserve. That's a bit more list. of a hyperbole on my part, um, but you know, yeah, and that's that's a different conversation. The reserve list is is a completely different, <laughs> yeah, uh, a whole different mess that we do not have the time. <laughs> yeah, maybe to that's for another episode. In this episode. Mm. Um, so anyway, that's all the preamble out of the way. Shall we crack on with the episode? Yeah, I was, I was, I was thinking, I was like, we've not had, we've not in, had an introduction, but maybe we can just do it after. Um, welcome, everybody, <laughs> to episode... Fourteen? Fourteen of Chatterstorm. Yeah, wow. And that's all we have for you today. <laughs> no, we should do the intro and then we should pretend like we're really structured and just be like, today we're going to talk about this and this yeah, we- and this. And like wow guys we actually stuck to it, it was so good we didn't go off topic once look how much we're learning <laughs> so proud of us yeah. <laughs> um uh, let's wrap it up there i'm not <laughs> I'm not sure what i'm gonna do with it but i'll figure it out before we go follow us on twitter 
at ChatterstormPod. Uh, check out chatterstorm.co.uk for our upcoming Magic the Gathering articles. And, uh, well, that's it, really. That's all our plugs. Mm-hmm. So thank you for listening, and we will catch you all next week. Bye. Bye. There's no blooper this week. What can I say? We just shot a really clean episode and I know that that sucks. So I thought I would take the time to just say that we're sorry for getting this episode out so late. The last couple of weeks have been a bit rocky for us, which I know is a pain in the neck for you. But if you are sticking with us and you are enjoying the podcast, then from all three of us, I can say from the bottom of my heart, Fang you very much.